Welcome to the season finale of Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo also known as Tuping Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? I'm going to need a drum roll. (laughs) Today we are talking about 2006's Aquamarine. For two best friends who needed a miracle. I'm sorry, sweetheart, but we're still moving. How about we start packing the room? So how about I live here with Claire till I'm 18? Something magical is about to happen. <laughs> Boo. You're um, Mermaid. I have to find love. We don't have it where I'm from. The only way I can get out of my wedding is if I can prove to my dad that love exists. I only get three days and I want love. <laughs> With him. Raymond? Raymond. Raymond's way too popular. If you help a mermaid, you get a wish. Love of our lives. <laughs> we left this movie till the very end for a good reason. It's a staple. The peak of the genre. <laughs> I have a framed aquamarine poster over my desk that Audrey got me for Christmas this past year. It's important. It's very important. I don't know at what point this movie went from something that we just watched in the car a lot to the most important facet of our being. (laughs) But But it it happened. At some point, it did bridge that gap. Yeah, I think sometime during college, I realized that it was like the best movie ever because I tried to write like a musical for young audiences that was Aquamarine. Uh, but I couldn't find it. As in an adaptation. Yes, an adaptation. Yes. And you have often, or maybe not often, but you have structured other things with Yes. Me. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I made a... I have a dirty habit. <laughs> I made a beat sheet. And a beat sheet, for those who do not know, is like... It's basically just an outline, but with plot points. I made a beat sheet of Aquamarine, and I use it as a template for playwriting all the time because it calms me down. dramatic and narrative stories. (laughs) They just follow Aquamarine. Not actually, but I find it – I uh, was writing a play that was supposed to be reminiscent of teen movies, and so I thought Aquamarine would be a good template to follow, and I think that it was. I think it is. We don't know how this one's going to end tonight emotionally, especially because it's the last episode of our first season. Yeah. But, you know, we know you'll be there with us and you'll be there for us and we'll just see what happens. Holding our metaphorical hands. Yes. (laughs) So shall we dive into the facts? Yes. Dive in. Mm -hmm. Dive into the facts. Oh, yes. Splish, splashing into the facts. (laughs) So this movie premiered on March 3rd, 2006 in theaters. It was directed by, excuse me, I said this movie. Uh Aquamarine premiered in theaters on March 3rd, 2006 and was directed by Elizabeth Allen Rosenbaum. You can tell this movie has a female director, I think. I mean, I've thought that about a lot of movies and then you look it up and it's not. So, well, sometimes yes, but... I appreciate her contributions, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Same. Um, She's primarily known for directing Dead to Me, 
great TV show, Why Women Kill, Empire, and A Dash of Pretty Little Liars. Seems like she's got a pretty good career going for herself. Definitely. Underrated. Yes. Aquamarine was based on the novel written by Alice Hoffman, who, it turns out, wrote the novels Independence Day and Practical Magic, both of which are really successful movies based off of her novels. So she's got that thing. Her novels have that thing. That hot IP thing. Yes. We, if only we could all be as, uh, <laughs> as rich as her, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully she gets a lot of royalties. Yeah, I don't I know. know. Yeah. Independence Day and Practical Magic, those are two pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. Aquamarine, the sleeper hit. <laughs> I don't know. The screenplay was written by two people. Uh, first of all, we have John Quaintance, who wrote Hot Pursuit, which I wanted to include because Audrey has mentioned Hot Pursuit on the show before we don't need to go into it (laughs) um he was the executive producer of will and grace for a bunch of episodes and workaholics and this man wrote material girls so we've come full circle we've uh found the man behind the mess i truly it makes no sense that one human being could be this versatile (laughs) in a bad way and the best way ever yes i fully agree And then the other writer of the screenplay is Jessica Bendinger. This woman is the culture that we are talking about. She wrote Bring It On, Stick It, and First Daughter, among many other movies of the genre. And she also was a creative consultant for a lot of Sex in the City episodes. And I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Uh, I think it could mean a lot of things, actually. The writers might, like, bring her in every once in a while to look over things they've done or, yeah, I don't really know. That's just a guess. We should hunt down Jessica Bendinger and ask her. Yeah. <laughs> I bet she would come on this show. I have a running list of people that I'm going to contact <laughs> to uh, talk to us. Break from the format, but, you know, whatever. Cinematography for this movie, Aquamarine, it was by Brian J. Brahenny. He also did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is fun. And uh, this whole movie was shot in Australia, and I'm guessing that Brian was Australian because Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is very Australian. Yeah, probably. Just a guess. Audrey, would you like to take us into the world of Rotten Tomatoes right now? Yes, of course, as always. (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 51%. This I will not accept. I agree. Um, um, I And I compiled some reviews that I think will explain why all right. the rating was the way it is. I'll, I'll play the role of Moira McDonald from the Seattle Times to okay. get us started. Aquamarine isn't good enough to be a teen classic, but its audience will leave the theater happy. Which I have to say, way too soon to talk, Moira. Yeah, you can't say that right after you've seen it. Yeah. Nobody thought that about Bring It On either. Right. All right, Moira. (laughs) Um, You're up next. The next review. Little girls and salty sea dogs alike have long been held in thrall to the mermaid siren song. In Aquamarine, based on Alice Hoffman's book, the ladyfish finds herself awash in the low tide of teen romantic comedy. What? That's not even a review. I know. I, I attribute that review to a gross... Review written by a man. Yeah, uh, that's not even a review. I don't know what that is. I didn't read the whole thing. I was just pulling those little quotes. Oh. (laughs) But that guy's a hater. Up next, we have Todd Hertz of Christianity Today. He said, This movie scores a major victory in reaching its audience with the all-too-important message that they are fine (laughs) just the way they are. Fine. Which, to me, 
I don't really know if that's what this movie tells that's you. That's literally not the message I at all. It, it is if you, like, are really paying too much attention to, like, the straight plot line. And or, like, the straight romantic plot line. And to wishes. Like, yes. wishing for other things. Yeah, Todd Hertz's read of this film is not really mm. at the, uh, it's not the core. depth that we need it to be. And finally, we have a user review from Bethany. <laughs> A cute chick flick that also has you well up in tears of joy wasn't as bad as people say, and it actually leaves you feeling really happy. I thought that was like a very concise, good review. I can't believe people were saying this was bad. I'm just, I'm so upset. It's like there's a magical element and it's a teen romantic comedy. Like truly what? That's rare. Yeah. Accept it. Accept it. I don't get it. And it's so well done too. Yes. All right, but the audience score is 61%, so a 10% improvement between critic and audience. Thought it might be a little Mm -hmm. bit higher. I also have a feeling that people go on there and rate it. I mean, this is just a fact. Like, you're way more likely to rate it on there if you hated it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The budget for Aquamarine was $12 million. The domestic opening weekend brought in $8 million and ultimately crossed the $18 million line. So... They did well. Yeah. They did well. I mean, it's basically independent. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because of the budget? Yeah. Is that... I like... Okay, I have always been really bad at comprehending budgets for movies. Yeah, that's not a lot. And you can tell. (laughs) Yeah. In parts. You can see where they spent the money and where they did not spend the money. But that's part of what makes it so good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, all right. A plot synopsis of Aquamarine. This one's actually pretty well written, even though it's, like, very weirdly written also. I remember looking this up before and being like, why is it written this way? In a dreary Florida beach resort village, luscious-limbed lifeguard (laughs) Raymond is the main attraction for girls. Teenage buddies Claire and Haley become experts on him by observation, but never actually dare approach him. And after this closing summer season, we'll be separated as one's parents move to Australia. Then they find a storm washes up a sassy mermaid in a swimming pool who promises them a wish if they help her prove to Neptune love exists. And Raymond is the only creature resembling a love god. (laughs) That's so bad. This was actually really badly written. Yeah. I take that. I take back everything I've said. Yeah. That's it's not a dreary it's like resort not village. Even English. <laughs> yeah. This is not well written. It's not dreary. I don't understand. Dreary? Oh, I see. Audrey, you know what time it is. All right, our last and final tagline of season one. It doesn't disappoint. It's kind of bad, but <laughs> it does what it has to do. It is a fish out of water comedy. Actually, I think it is a little lackluster. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is nothing compared to they've got one shot to show their spots. I think that was the best tagline. I think that's the best one. That one was really good. The only other one that really sticks out in my mind, well, she rocks, she rules. Yes. And um, from the penthouse to the poorhouse. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there were other good ones, but those were the ones that, like, stay in the test of time. Yeah. I mean, and by the test of time, we mean, like, one week. We mean, like... No, like four months, like three months. I guess we've been so, doing yeah. this. Cheetah Girls was in the beginning-ish. I guess we have been doing it for kind of a long time now. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're getting into the cast. So what I didn't realize when I compiled this is that there are f- only five American actors in this whole movie. Yeah. Um, but they are every relevant part. So mm-hmm. um, I have made a list here, unbeknownst to myself, of just the American actors in this movie. 
So we're not purposefully leaving not, out the Australians. Yes, it was made by like Gold Coast Productions or something. Definitely an Australian production. Company. Yeah, like it was very um, of Australia, I guess. And you can also totally tell with like the adult actors that they are yeah. like struggling with their American their accents. accents. Like, it's very noticeable. Uh-huh. Like, there's one scene where Claire's grandma just, like, has a Scottish accent. Yeah, and you're like, like, what? Girls, like. She's like, <laughs> we had to fire Raymond. We, have, we had to fire Raymond. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? You know why? It's because she's struggling to say, like, her R's. She's like. Yeah. What would she have said if it was Australian? I don't even know what that would sound would be like. like. That's a hard sentence. I think of, uh. Of Courtney Act Nor, talking. What are you saying? Courtney what Act. are you talking about? Uh, we, ha- we had to fire Raymond. Yeah, but that sounds normal too. We had to fire, fire Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> but she just needed to say, we had to fire Raymond. Yeah, <laughs> That's she, hard for an Australian. Yeah, I bet. Fire Raymond. Yeah. So in this cast, we have Emma Roberts as Claire. Um, she's now known for being in Ryan Murphy's inner ring, having been in like a billion seasons of American Horror Story and in Scream Queens. She always plays the exact same character, just like very archetypal, like spoiled, rich, like prissy, that type of vibe. But at the time that this movie came out, she was best known for being in Nancy Drew, those movies. And of course, just one. Unfabulous, uh, which really made her like a staple of the Nickelodeon uh, home. Like if you yeah. watch Nickelodeon, you watched Unfabulous and you knew who she was. Uh, but you know what? I honestly feel like not many people. I never talk to people about Unfabulous. I actually people watched really part of an episode. It. I watched part of an episode recently and it was like still pretty good. Yeah. But I just feel like when people think about Nick shows, they never think about Unfabulous. I know. I think it's because it didn't actually last that long. And it seems like a Disney show, but it's not. Yes. It's better. Yes. <laughs> um. So, okay, we have Emma Roberts as Claire. She's like the shy, uh, stuck in her shell, but like in a prissy bratty way <laughs> Um, friend. And then we have- She's not mean though. She's not mean, but she's very like- like, she would be wearing, like, gingham if we She's were like in the Northeast. type A. Yeah. And then we have none other than JoJo as Haley. Um, This was JoJo's film debut. It came out two months before RV, which is yeah. the second of only three movies she's ever been in. We don't talk about RV. Uh, I didn't realize Robin Williams was in RV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was also weirdly in GBF, which we may potentially review in the next season if anyone wants us to do Please that. Please don't make us. Please don't. I've seen <laughs> I it. I want to. I've you never seen it. You haven't seen it, though, I so. I want to do it. Um, but anyway, so JoJo is a queen, and she deserves so much more than she has based off her talent alone. If you don't know the sordid tale of JoJo's entire entertainment career being basically put on lockdown by her shitty original her contract. talent contract, um, you have some research to do. But um, basically, JoJo became famous in 2004 with her really big hit song, Leave, Get Out, which I know you know. If you're listening to this, you know it. And then she had another really big hit that came out the summer after this movie came out in Too Little, Too Late. So one may even say that this movie may have been peak JoJo because, well, not to say she won't peak because I think she could still peak. But Her peak hasn't happened peak yet. Peak youth JoJo yeah. is this era, I would say. Yeah. She's really good in this movie and it makes me really sad that she's not in more things. We have Sarah Paxton as Aquamarine, the mermaid. Fun fact, 
I don't know how legit this is, but apparently Jessica Simpson was offered this role and then she was like, I'm too old. And then didn't Good. Do it. She was. Yeah. I would say Sarah Pacton's career has taken some weird turns that I can't really explain, but she's best known for Innkeepers, Aquamarine, and The Last House on the Left. She also was in Summerland. Uh, playing opposite of Jesse McCartney, which I didn't even realize he was on Summerland. You forgot Halloween Town. Oh shit, you're right. That's really big. And um, Sleepover. I think she's I've in never Sleepover. seen Sleepover. Yeah. Well, there you go. Sleepover cinema. Oh yeah, we're fake. Sleepover. We're fake. <laughs> um, that's really silly that I haven't seen that movie, and we're called Sleepover yeah. Cinema. And apparently Sarah Paxton originally was cast as the villain of the film, but she, I guess, was like, I want to audition for Aquamarine because, like, I want to be a mermaid. And then Wait, what the it. heck? She would not even be. I'm so glad it worked out that way. Yeah, me too. I was going to look it up and make sure she's in Sleepover. Just double check that. Okay, later. I will. <laughs> um, and then coming up next, we have Jake McDormand as Raymond, the <gasps> luscious limb lifeguard, and he is hot. Yep. Jake McDormand is one of those, like, timelessly hot men. Like Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't feel that way about Jake Gyllenhaal, but, but it, I understand. You know, I don't really either. Like, I don't think that he's even, like, top five of, like, all men. <laughs> but he does have—I saw him in person after a screening, and I was in the front row, and I was just looking at him, and I was like, timeless beauty. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Like, you can tell he has creams, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Creams and lotions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, in my mind, like, Jake McDormand is, like, on the same, not quite on the same tier as Patrick Wilson, but close. Oh, my God. Patrick Wilson is, like, our niche, um, <laughs> niche, like, celebrity male crush. I, like, love him. He's, like, the most normal person ever, but I think he's, he's so, so normal. He's so hot. Yeah, Jake him. is, Jake is above Patrick, but... Listen. I don't feel that way, but I also just really love him. You don't think that Jake is above Patrick I don't Wilson? know what Jake's personality is like, but I, I feel, feel like, like he, I know what Patrick's is like. I feel like Jake is a king, you know? I feel like— You mean to tell me that Patrick isn't the king? No, no. Patrick is a king. I'm just telling no, but you— he's the king. —that Jake is also a king. Okay. Would he be in Lady Bird if he wasn't a king? I'm would, not saying that he's Greta, not a king. Would Gretiger would cast him if he wasn't exceptional in every way? <laughs> As the hot teacher. We're having two different conversations here. <laughs> we are not speaking to the same point. I just want to make everything about Patrick Wilson. Anyway, um, so Jake McDormand has also been in a lot of uh, gross man movies, including American Sniper. But he's also Mike and Shameless, a.k.a. the stable man we all want for Emmy Ross and I Fiona. And now I understand why, why I'm connecting them because they've both played Emmy Rossum's love interest. Yeah. Um, he's also Mr. Bruno and Lady Bird, as Audrey said. He was also apparently in What We Do in the Shadows. I don't really understand what that is. I thought it was a movie, but now it looks like it's a TV show. I don't know. Sounds scary. And then Murphy Brown. To me, that sounds like Maury, so I don't know what that is. No clue. We're really educated here. <laughs> um, and then rounding out the cast of Americans, we have Arielle Kebble as Cecilia Banks. She's really good in this movie. Yeah. I love her. She looks old, admittedly. Yeah. But oh, yeah. There's like so many takes for us to have yeah. in our – just the age gap is weird in this movie. But – um. <laughs> Arielle Kebble, while I have not seen her in anything since Aquamarine, is still 
booked and blessed. She was Lexi on Vampire Diaries. And she also was apparently a recurring character on Gilmore Girls. Yep, it's true. I didn't know because I weirdly haven't watched Gilmore Girls. You need to watch it. I know. Starting in September, watch it through the fall. Do you think it'll make me feel really cozy? It does. This is a fact. Like, right. it truly will change you. Okay, I'm ready. And it's so relaxing. It's just easy to watch. Is it a good thing to have on, like, in the background? Mm-hmm. Very much so. I'm, like, really bad at committing time to just, like, watching things. Because here's the thing. Like, if I'm playing a game Are or something— Are you saying you're unqualified for this podcast? No, no. Because we watch it. <laughs> every time. It's just hard for me to focus. You or, like, I'll play a video game or you something while You don't need to focus listening. on Gilmore Girls. <laughs> it literally does not require focus. Maybe if I just replace ASMR with Gilmore Girls in my life, then it'll work. It's a pretty quiet show. That would work. But I would personally, I would never give up my ASMR. Well, I don't want to give up my ASMR, but but like the problem is that like we're so off topic. I don't care. We never do this. We're normally so on topic. Um, Normally, when I watch ASMR, I'll like be playing a video game or something. So I'll be doing two things at once or like to watch a dumb show. I feel like I have to be doing something productive at the same time. You know, I think when I watched the bulk of Gilmore Girls was as I was getting ready. Yeah. Like makeup and stuff. Maybe I can just. Make getting ready more part of my routine. Yeah. Since I'm going so many places now. Yeah. <laughs> since we're so free now. Um, anyway. Anyway. Ariel. Ariel. Ariel, shout out to you. 2006, what was happening in our particular cultural sector? You already know. Um, we've been over we've this. We've been over this, but it's the year of Hannah Montana, High School Musical, Cowbells. Shit was alive. When this movie came out, I was in fifth grade and Audrey was in third. So I'm guessing we probably got it on DVD <laughs> the summer after it came out. Yeah. Um, and Mermaids. Sam's Club. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and Mermaids were having a moment in this era. In fact, the man who made the tales for this movie also made them for H2O. Which also led me to the fun fact of the H2R. <laughs> I literally was waiting because I knew you were going to say something. H2R. Ricky. Don't touch the water. Emma. It led me to the fact that apparently Emma Roberts had to take bike lessons for this movie and Sarah had to take a bunch of swim lessons. I Which guess. leads us to the question. Like, what? I, that just seems. You know what, though? A lot of people don't know how to swim. Like, we take knowing how to swim for granted because of our lake upbringing, but I have, like, multiple close friends who don't know how to swim, who are, like, taking lessons. I mean, I doggy paddled for a long time. It's not, I didn't know how to swim. Like, I was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you weren't in, (laughs) but you're you're not wearing, like, a 300-pound tail. Oh, oh, absolutely. No, she's like, But it's yeah. not like she was like in she, open waters. She like, would need to like learn the butterfly first and then, the and then do it. Um. Okay, so the last time I watched this movie was not literally that like ago. three months ago. Yeah. Um, I watched it with Una, who lives downstairs. Una, shout out to you. <laughs> it was with Una and Senna, my two friends. And it was really uh, joyous. We got GoPuff to bring us ice cream. It was a fun night. There's a lot of things I remember from the last time I watched it, but I'm not going to say any of them because we are going to talk about it after we rewatch it. It's too fresh. We don't need to rehash. We don't need to rehash beforehand. Yes. If you haven't seen Aquamarine, of all the episodes we've ever done, I plead with you. This is the time that you pause this podcast, and this is the one that you got to tune in for, especially if you've never seen it. I agree. 
It brings you back to a very particular place and time. And there's a lot of interpretation you can do of it, which we're about to do. Yeah, this is one that we could potentially get on, like, a Sisterhood of the Traveling Pans level. Yes. If you listen to that episode. Yes. We're we're always chasing the emotional high of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants (laughs) episode, let's be honest. It's a rare. It was just, it was a fleeting moment. Serotonin. Yeah. So shall we get to it? Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back. We will discuss the matters at hand very soon. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, folks. We're back. We have witnessed cinematic history. Herstory, rather. Yes. And we're going to break it down. Yeah. And I will, I would just like to say before we get into mm-hmm. our uh, preset criteria that, that every time we watch this movie, we discover something different. In, I don't know about every time. I felt like that time around, I uh, noticed way more things than I normally do. Mostly in the category of sentences that I did not hear clearly as a child and now can hear clearly. Or I can say for you. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start out with things we appreciate more. Of course, we're biased because we love this movie, but um, we will just try to... um. Give it a fair shake. Keep it engaging. Um, <laughs> I appreciated, I think especially after watching all of these movies this season, I really appreciated the chemistry between JoJo yeah. and Emma Roberts. It can't be bought, you know? It cannot be bought in a store. And the, the chemistry between everyone, I would say, actually, is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's definitely good. Especially with the semi-intense age gaps we have going on. Yeah, I actually can't tell how big the age gaps really are, but one of the things that always confuses me about this movie is that I think Cecilia is supposed to be, like, 16, which, first of all, she seems way older, but second of all, if they're only three years apart, because they say that Haley and Claire are 13 and she's 16, it just seems like a bigger gap than three years. But 13 to 16 is a particularly brutal gap. It's a big gap. gap. Yeah, it's only three years, but it's like a whole other world. Yes, it's true. For things I appreciated, this I was saying to Audrey when I was watching the movie that watching Aquamarine is like breathing. Like I've seen it so many times and it's really informed so much of my writing, especially weirdly as I've gotten older. As I was saying earlier, I always use it as a template. But when I was watching it today, I was like, 
There's a lot of themes in this movie that I feel like really like nestled in my heart and continue to inspire me to write things to this very day. For example, just like coming of age, projecting your grand ideals onto boys who don't necessarily know what they're getting into, things like that, which we'll we'll come back to at the end. What did you appreciate about the movie today? I have other than everything. I have two things. Okay. One being that I never realized somehow, this is just a situation where I was (laughs) too dumb when I first saw it and then only viewed the beginning in the same way for the rest of my life. I did not fully put it together that the opening shot and the opening credits, the underwater shots, are... (laughs) Aquamarine's point of view. Yes. I knew I could hear her voice and I could hear her little like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, we have that pitch memorized. Yeah. But it wasn't until the camera like got all up in a fish's face and then <laughs> and then the, the voiceover goes, hello. And I never realized The light that. bulb went off. Yeah, the light bulb went off and I was like, oh, it's her POV. Yes. <laughs> and then... The other thing I appreciate is that the only person that the lens of the camera sexualizes is a Raymond. (laughs) Yes, and it's unrelenting, which actually does bring me to one thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that whether it knows that it's doing it or not, I feel like it does a very respectful yet consistent job of treating Raymond in like the highly objectified way that female love interests are treated in, like, comedies. Constantly. Yeah, which is, like, they're nice and non-offensive and really attractive, but they, like, don't really have personality traits or goals or interests. They're just— And that's not what we care about. Yeah, but I feel like you like Raymond and you don't think that he's, like, an airhead or anything. Which is different than how a lot of women are portrayed, but Mm -hmm. I just think that it does a really tasteful job of being, like, this man is hot, but we— um. We appreciate him as a person. We appreciate his mind. (laughs) Smart king. Smart king. (laughs) Humble king. Shout out to Elizabeth Rosenbaum for that. Yes. And the writer. And we also talked about how this movie does not sexualize any of the girls. No. With the way that it's shot. Even when that's how they want to be portrayed. Yeah. Or perceived by Raymond. The camera does not reflect that. Yeah. It, it now makes sense to me that this movie was reviewed by Christianity Today because aside from the fact that they do look naked at the end when they're sitting on the surfboard, <laughs> yeah. it, like, actually is a pretty wholesome. It's very wholesome. Affair. The most wholesome, but under the guise of, like, fun teen fantasy, like, right. fun. <laughs> fun. I said fun twice. Yes. <laughs> I also appreciate that this movie... While it seems like it doesn't pass the Bechdel test at first, meaning that... They don't talk about things other than Raymond? Yeah. Like, it's never actually about Raymond. No. And it totally does pass. It does pass, but there's moments where you think that... Like, if I think if you watched it once and then you looked back on it, you might be like, oh, yeah, it was all about Raymond. But, like, Raymond is just a symbol. Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> Raymond is a symbol of them getting to stay children together. And not move on. What? We'll come back to it. Bring it again. <laughs> we'll come back to it at the end. I also appreciated that even though the film did treat him like an untouchably babely man guy, 
I thought it was really funny and accurate that, like, for example, if you think of, like, The Sandlot. Have you seen The Sandlot? Not recently. Okay, well, there's a very similar dynamic in The Sandlot where all the boys love this, like, hot female lifeguard. And they fake... One of the boys fakes drowning to get mouth to mouth from her. Mm -hmm. And then as she's doing it, he like wakes up and is like, gotcha. Yeah. And it's really creepy. And this movie does like the exact opposite of that, which is like they avoid talking to him because they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want you to like see us and like interact with us because we're awkward and young and you're hot and older. It's realistic. It's way more realistic. And I feel like it's also just true if not to get super gendered, but. If I'm being very gendered, it's accurate of how young girls and boys act in general. Yeah, and I don't think the situation that you're describing in the Sandlot would, like, almost ever happen. Like, like... Well, right. I mean, I agree, but I think, like, the fact that those are the modeled behaviors in movies is noteworthy. It's not good. Yeah. And even if that just means that when boys are hanging out together, they're like, I'm going to fake mouth to mouth so she'll make out with me, like... Even that kind of talk, as we know, can mm-hmm. be damaging. So. Yes. Okay. Things that are worse now or things that I just noticed that I hadn't noticed before. Aquamarine's personality changes so heavily based off of whether she's in water or out of water, particularly just at the beginning and the end. Like The only time she's in water other than the bathtub or the water tower. Yeah, which like isn't real. Isn't real water. She's She just seems very like in control and reasonable in the ocean, which I guess does make sense. It actually adds up. But it seems like too nuanced of a character choice for this movie. I don't know. I think I'm going to go with that. <laughs> you buy I'm, into it? I think I'm going to go that it's on purpose. <laughs> I just wish that she had a little bit more of that personality. On land. Yes. Yeah, we were kind of saying, like, what if she's, like, dizzy on land? <laughs> like, yeah, she's just, like, partially asphyxiated the whole time. She's just, like, losing it. It, would, it would track with the logic of the situation, I think. Yet. The only other thing I have for worse now or just more clearly registered now is how badly the end of Cecilia's storyline ends. I mean, it's not even her storyline, really. She figures out that Aquamarine is a mermaid, gets embarrassed in front of her dad and the news by trying to expose her for being a mermaid. And then when Aqua and Ray are on the pier... She just randomly appears, basically, after Aqua asks Ray if she loves him. And he says no, because they've only been on one date. Uh-huh. Cecilia just shows up out of nowhere, pushes Aquamarine off <laughs> the pier, and then screams, she's a fish, and then runs away. And we get this reverse shot of the entire length of the pier. You see Haley, Claire, and Ray... And Cecilia is just gone. And this is literally the next shot. So not only does she not get a wrap-up, that's the last time we see her, but she also literally disappears in the continuity. Like, it doesn't work. And the reason why that is, and we know this because we've watched a lot of behind-the-scenes content, is that the scene where Aqua ends up in the ocean originally ended really differently, which was basically when Raymond says that he can't love her for her— 
she's like, well, how could you if you don't even know the real me? So then she throws herself off the pier to be like, I'm a mermaid. Do you love me now? Which, who knows what that draft of the script would have been. I would love to see it. I think it would have just ended the same. It would have ended like, well, obviously, I need to, like, go home, take care of my family like for aquamarine she would have been like i belong in the ocean like same same thing well but do you but my question is do you think that it would have been raymond and aqua out on the buoy him saying i can't love you and then are Haley and claire there already to say that they love her like how how does she end up proving that love exists same way but because but, but she would have had to have gotten the closure from Ray. But I guess what? So Haley and Claire would have said that they loved her before Ray gets the chance to talk yeah, with her? Yeah, like literally Ray would have shown up late still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like she dives into the ocean herself, but then the current starts and she starts getting pulled away. Ray's like, I'm going to go get my surfboard. <laughs> and the same, it goes down the same you, exact you mean, way. Um, rescue board. Yeah, rescue board. <laughs> he needs his rescue board. <laughs> Which I think that's a stronger choice just because we... It doesn't work to have Cecilia do that. I feel like Cecilia's story was buttoned pretty well by her getting humiliated. Same. And her car getting taken away, which is her only thing she has in this movie. Yeah. And I think that it kind of seems like they literally shot it the original way and then Mm -hmm. changed it. I agree. Because in the – like, shot-wise, I think – that's what adds up. Yeah. And based off of the way that Raymond and Aqua interact in the end. Yeah. I think that you're right. I think that that would have made sense. Uh-huh. Because he's so like, I accept you kind of thing. Yeah. He's like, I don't know how to ask him roommate out. But yeah. <laughs> it's not. He's not repulsed at all. No. Or freaked out. Accepting King. <laughs> we could We could go on forever. <laughs> so, as for the... Which elements are dated and or problematic section? There's very few overall. Mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. it is fantasy, you kind of can get away with more. But it's also just like not pushing boundaries in that way. No, it's not trying to be edgy literally at all. No, but it is very white. It is very white. There's one. Literally one line. There's one black person with a speaking line and he says here you go man it's a and then one of cecilia's up. friends Is looks to be asian asian yeah but, but that's, it. that's it so that there's that i mean that's unnecessary yeah it's also i feel like florida's pretty segregated though right but like they weren't in florida <laughs> but they're supposed to be but it's a movie you know yeah representation is more important than like what would realistically they just didn't care then. No, they did not. Yeah. There was only one fat joke, which was surprising because normally these movies have a lot more. It's when Cecilia tells her friend to put away her negativity like she put away all the corn dogs at the street fair. <laughs> which And then yeah. they leave her in the dust at the water tower so she gets her she just She gets desserts. what she deserves. Um I don't know. I think Honestly, it deal it deals with such little non-super safe content that there's not much to say here. Yeah, but I am happy to say that, like, magazine advice about catching boys still holds up 14 years later. What do you mean? Like, the fact that, like, canned advice on how to get boys from magazines isn't, like, super dated now. Is it not? Like, it is, but it's not dated in, like, the way where it's, like, 
oh, that's embarrassing or offensive or something like that. Oh, no, it's just it's just dumb. But it's not, like, offensive. <laughs> right. I mean, it could be. I'm it sure some of them are. It probably will be eventually, but we haven't – our brains haven't evolved to that point yet. Oh, I've seen lots of, like, vintage, you know, yeah, magazines. Yeah, 2006 is not vintage. No, but, like – there is a lot of like bad and offensive advice in in those yes. magazines. Have you ever watched? Have you ever gotten service that ASMR fifties housewife video? I've watched it like a billion know. times. <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, okay, what's our next category? Um, is it a good movie? Absolutely, definitively, yes. Absolutely, this is a matriarchal film. First of all. Aqua's whole thing is that she's trying to prove her dad wrong because she doesn't want to get married off to a weirdo. Does she try to prove her point through a man? Yes. However, ultimately, it doesn't need to be that way. But one thing that I find interesting about this movie is that Aqua, as a person, as the character, is the inciting incident. Like, she's not the main character. No, she's not the main character. Which, they don't end with her, so. They don't end with her. But I just really admire the way that this movie handles two to three protagonists. Like, Mm -hmm. it actually handles all of the main character's, like, arcs pretty well, I think. There is a deep, there are some gay undertones to this (gasps) movie. (laughs) So much. Which, everybody just wants... Haley and Claire to like each other. Yeah, and even if it's – it's also interesting because it's like they do love each other so much, but it's not that you necessarily want to see them together romantically, but I think it's like they have such a pure affection and devotion to each other as friends, but also like as being each other's person. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard to, to see them – To see them part at the goodbye. end. Which – we will come back to you because seriously, saddest endings of life. Um, but I think that their whole obsession with Ray is a lot more about them having something to bond over and like to attach importance to that helps them not think about the fact that mm-hmm. Haley has to move or not think about the fact that Claire has all these outstanding psychological issues <laughs> yeah. she's not taking care of because her parents dying. And it's like a very simple thing that distracts them from the fact that there's like actually hard stuff going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like they both have abandonment issues yeah, and they're clearly really codependent. But when yeah. you're younger, you can't really tell that that's what it is. And basically the end of the movie is them breaking their cycle of codependence. Not not only because they separate, but because they get through really important arguments about like how their friendship is set up Mm -hmm. and they like still love each other anyway. And they choose not to manipulate reality and use right. their wish. Yes. they. So basically, in the end, they do end up getting their wish from Aqua because they do prove that love exists. But they have grown up so much that they are not going to bend the rules of the universe to stay together because they realize that they have to grow. Yeah. They have to separate to grow. Yeah. And, like, Haley has moments of realizing that she can't just – shit all over her mom's professional aspirations of being, like, this marine biologist yeah. who's, like, saving the water. For the fish and yeah. aquamarine indirectly. Yes. Because aquamarine um, says that the water tastes way better now. Yes. Which is a nice touch. Yeah. 
And so that kind of connects them all to that theme. I think the fact that Haley and Claire get so close to, like, not, they're not making romantic contact with Raymond, but they're, like, puppeteering romantic contact with him is empowering to them in its own way, too. Yeah, like, because to them, he's so unattainable. And it's, it's not even that they seriously, like, they don't see... If they're not serious about wanting really to be with him themselves yeah. because they know that it's like a long shot and also would be weird if it happened. So like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the shot where you see Emma Roberts yeah. and Raymond next to each other. It's and like they look like they look like 15 years apart. Like minimum. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that they, they're like realizing that they like kind of have that power is fun. Yes. And, of course, Raymond, his, like, last line is so, <laughs> is so, like, Oh, dumb, yeah, we, for, he, we forgot. Uh, he goes, you two are really cool. Or, like, you two are really impressive. I don't extraordinary. Even, yeah, you two are really extraordinary. I don't even know if I could have done what you guys did. Yeah, we also forgot to say that Raymond, unfortunately, does tell Aqua that she's not like other girls at one point. Yeah, but, you know, we can let it slide for a humble... <laughs> Humble King. Because the one strike against him. She literally isn't like yeah. other girls. Yeah. You know, he does have his one moment at the beginning before the beach house is going off yeah. when he says, But you're hot. Really hot. So there's that too. But yeah, which is like I just I never felt like that was something Ray would say. I right agree. Off the bat. He seems douchey at the beginning, but he's yeah. not at all. No. He's not a multi-dimensional at all. king. Never. <laughs> We're, we will defend Ray until we die. Absolutely. And, of course, our father's name is also Raymond, so that's weird. Double meaning. <laughs> Not double meaning. So that's uh, weird, but... That is weird. You, we, that's just out there now. I wasn't thinking about that, though, because no one calls our dad Raymond. They call no, Ray. but when I think of Ray, how many people do you know named Raymond? One. One. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, why do you think that this movie is so emotional for you, the ending? That's so rude. Well, I'll answer it, too. You answer it first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. please go first. I literally don't know. I have to think. Okay, think I'm sweating. (laughs) Do you want me to go? Um, I think it's really easy to project yourself and, I mean, potentially many other people onto... You know, whichever girl you identify with more is like you. And then the other person, the other girl is like, it could be so many things or people in your life. Anybody you've had to say goodbye to or, you know, drift from or like, I don't know. It just it gives you that like lump in your throat feeling. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a person who gets really nostalgic for places and people and just like eras in general so like if I'm gonna go travel or something the night before I travel it doesn't matter I could literally hate (laughs) hate hate the place I'm at or like have been dreading where I've been at for like weeks but the night before I leave it's like oh that doorknob is so special (laughs) like oh that that couch and that and you know like you get that like weird feeling which I feel like is not it's not really often portrayed not hard to portray it it is hard to portray it because it's like such a mixed bag and um but that sort of feeling is what I get 
with the end of Aquamarine. Yeah, me too. It can be very literal. Like, I could literally think of times I've said goodbye to friends, Mm -hmm. even just for, like, a summer. And it was, like, the worst thing ever. And moving, that's moved, like, four or five times. Mm -hmm. And it has that vibe for sure. Yeah, definitely. Similarly to you, I think that we both have the era people nostalgia thing. Like, even when times or chunks of time were not that good when they're happening they're always really specific Mm -hmm. and like when specificity or little things that do bring you joy even if they're in like the midst of a lot of shit like go away and you know they can never happen again like that's really sad it's like it it gives you this really strange sense of like the permanence of life and like the fact that things are actually well right but the the permanence of time moving on you know yeah there's nothing you can do to stop things or redo them or wind them back. You can hear the first aid kit ruins playing kind of like. But in this specific scenario, the fact that they had the choice. Right. That's what makes it so sad. That they had the choice to, you know, be selfish and codependent and stay together because that's what they, their knee jerk reaction was. Mm -hmm. But they chose not to. That's what makes it so sad. That's, like, I don't know. I don't know. That's growth. Like, I don't know that I could say that I would do that if I had the opportunity. You know, it depends Mm -hmm. on the situation. But, like, if I could have it my way just because and, like, screw everybody else, like, would I do it or would you, would I not? Yeah. You know? It kind of feels like a breakup where it's, like, when you outgrow someone. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And not even just a breakup, like a romantic breakup, but a friendship breakup. Like Mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to think about this person like every day for the rest of your life, but knowing that it's time to part and that it will be okay. Mm -hmm. But like the moment where you're like looking at that rift and you're like, wow, it's actually happening. That's what the end of this movie feels like. mm -hmm. But I guess this one's hard because it's like, I don't necessarily feel that they've outgrown each other. They just have to. The, the tides of life are pulling them yeah, apart. Yeah, the tide, and, exactly. It's not that they've necessarily outgrown each other, but it's like they have no They have no choice. choice. And that, I think it also encapsulates a lot of what is the worst about being a kid and what is the best about being a kid, which is that you don't have control. Yeah. And, like, you just have to roll with the punches and, like, whatever happens to you is really formative, but it's about, like, how you handle change, not about the changes themselves. Yeah, it kind of sucks. You've got no say in the matter. Yeah, but I mean, if I think back to times when we moved, I there's not a single move I look back on now and think it was Well, no, I mean, you can't think that way anyway because yeah. you don't know where you would be had it not gone down the way it did. Yeah. That's but true. yeah, I mean, the moves are always like painful, but not painful, but you know, nostalgic and sad, but mm-hmm. It's just a necessary part of life. Yeah. So, like, if you can if you can kind of adjust to that and, like, learn how to deal with it, you're just going to have an easier time. <laughs> I, think, I think also, considering that this is the last episode of our first season, I think that a big part of why this movie is so precious to us on top of everything is that it really, even with its campy moments and, like, with its issues it creates such a consistent emotional tone that I think has been really inspiring for me obviously and I think for you too 
And this is the kind of movie, like, again, it was not rated highly, but it's made such a big impact on us. And it's, like, inspired us to go into creating things as people. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that this movie is, like, one of, at least for me, weirdly, I feel like it's one of the big ones. I don't know if it was for me or not, but, like, just because I've never created anything like it. But um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not because I wouldn't want to. (laughs) It's just because I'm not a writer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just, I guess I just am trying to say that the impact of these sort of movies should not be underrated because you never know who's watching them, what experience they're bringing to the table. And like the stuff that you watch when you're 12, when it affects you, it really, really affects you. Yeah. I mean, I would love to go all Mr. Rogers on this, you know, like Mr. Rogers actually would have, well, I don't know that he would approve of any of this content, but, (laughs) you know, he definitely did believe that the most important, like, thing that you could show, well, first of all, he hated just all the buffoonery (laughs) and the shenanigans in children's content and children's television. And, like, he valued the lessons that were shown through the media to children. Mm -hmm. And, like, I agree. Like, it couldn't be more important to, like— be able to communicate. That's a, like the lesson of Aquamarine is complex. It is complex. And it's not even something that kids could necessarily regurgitate Or after. like consciously understand. But like to feel that emotion is the most important thing. Yeah. And then they can continue to unpack it. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, kids. Throughout their life. <laughs> As we are doing now. Yeah. Um. So... I think we've said our piece on Aquaman yeah, for think now, so. but I do. I will say that this movie gives me similar growing apart vibes as Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants does. Yeah, but Sisterhood is on the denial of growing up, and that's yeah. what makes it so sad. And Aquamarine it brings you back In, to reality. Yes, Aquamarine embraces time moving forward, or as Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants it is like desperately it. denying it. Yeah, which is its own fantasy. Which is why it's so sad, in my opinion. But let's not get back into that. If you want to hear about that take, go Go back back. to episode two. But honestly, to wrap it all up, if you've been with us this whole time, this whole season, um, we really, really appreciate you and your thoughts and your input and your experiences with these movies. And um, Audrey, thank you for spending all this time with me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And this four foot by two foot closet. As we're like fanning ourselves. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Yes. Um, so we will be back <laughs> as long as you'll have us uh, for <laughs> season two at some date in the future. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know how soon you want that. Um, and until then. Watch Aquamarine. Watch Aquamarine. Keep sending us your ideas and suggestions, and maybe uh, maybe we'll make it like a group curation of the set for next time around. But, Audrey, I will miss sitting in the closet. <laughs> I will miss sitting in the closet with you watching these movies oh, and talking yes. about them. Me too. Period. Period. <laughs> what else can we say? I mean, I think that's it. We just don't – it's like the end of Aquamarine. We don't want to We don't want to walk wanna away. Leave. We don't want to walk away. We got to do the last look. We got to do the – Hug moment and then slowly yeah. part and enter our homes. Yes. <laughs> Fade to black. Fin. Fin. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> 
You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode of your choice with your friends. And maybe even leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and is edited and produced by me, Hannah Ray Leach. Special thanks to mixing engineer Sean Rule Hoffman and executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. Our show music is by Josh Perlman Hall. We'll chat again soon. Bye. I feel connected, protected. Do you? Uh, it's 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 debatable how connected or protected I actually feel. <laughs> do do you really? <laughs> Damn. So you feel connected, protected. All right, maestro. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.